Hey guys, it's Melissa here from MelissaOatman.com. Welcome to Awaken Your Inner Awesomeness, a daily podcast devoted to spirituality and self-help. If you're new, I want to welcome you. If you're returning, welcome back. So today we have with us a very special guest. I have Mr. Mike Collins. He founded the SugarAddiction.com and also hosts the Quit Sugar Summit. And I am very interested to talk to him today. And if you are one of those people who feels like they've been on the diet roller coaster and has always had trouble with addictions to sugar, you're going to want to listen today. So welcome, Mike. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Melissa. Thanks for having me. I'm honored. It's great. So why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself and then what it is that you do and how you help people? Oh, yeah, sure. So, I mean, I don't want to go too far back, but, you know, I thought I grew up as a regular kid. You know, I mean, I had sugar. My mother loved sugar. She was uh, kind of a sad story, really. She, uh, her, my grandmother died when she was only eight years old, and they owned the store across the way, the country store. And anytime my mom came, went in there, they, they would just give her the whatever candy they wanted free. And it was a great thing to do for an eight-year-old who lost her mom, but, you know, the science wasn't there then. It's kind of... Um, basically set her up for a life where she really believed sugar was love. I mean, she, we grew up that way. We had uh, unfettered access to the sugar bowl. We could put as much sugar as we wanted on our Cheerios or cornflakes, and we'd be scraping off half an inch of sugar at the bottom with the milk. It was wild. Anyway, fast forward. And, you know, it, I want you to remember that I didn't realize that was changing my state. I didn't realize it changed how I felt. It didn't get, it was basically get me jacked up. Like you see kids, at a birthday party or whatever. There's a great video on YouTube. Eric Clapton, the great guitarist, is sitting down with 60 Minutes and he talks about changing his state with bread and butter and sugar sandwiches. And when he was five and six years old, and because uh, the, the interviewer asked him, Ed Bradley says, so Eric, this started with heroin, this addiction thing. And she, he said, no, Ed, it started with sugar. And there's a lot of very famous treatment centers now that believe sugar is the gateway drug to other drugs. And when you go into treatment there, you're not allowed to have sugar um, or nicotine or caffeine. So they help you, you know, get through those addictions as well, but they're really there for drugs and alcohol. So anyway, fast forward about 14 or 15, I realized that, you know, sugar was, um, I ran into beer, right? And, and I knew beer changed my state. And I could talk to girls. I was kind of shy, whatever. And so uh, that party lasted until I was 28. It's another podcast, I'm sure. But I got sober at 28. And at that point, I just literally went right back to sugar. I didn't use that much sugar when I was partying, drinking and whatever. And a lot of my friends in recovery did the same thing. You know, forget about the freshman 15. They gained 50 pounds, you know, the freshman 50 Anyway, I, at the time, talked my wife uh, into having children with no sugar, no flour, no caffeine in the womb until they were, and until they were six years old. And it's a long story, and they didn't have it in the house uh, their whole childhood, but we did allow it in outside birthday parties. And I think you, I uh, saw on your website, you have twins. They were twins. And uh, so I have twin, uh, twin boys as well. And they, they grew up with no sugar, and I really believe that their brain developed better. They're like rocket scientists, smart. That first thousand days is so important. Anyway, they always said I should write a book about sugar, and I did finally, and uh, bought the name and the 
the website sugaraddiction.com about 10 or 12 years ago. And I gave out the best information on the internet. It was really like um, cutting edge information. I had been researching all the time and, and I still did it. Um, but I never really got any traction until I started having these support groups online and coaching people through one-on-one. -on -one. And so that's where we are today. We have that summit that you mentioned, the Quit Sugar Summit every year. And uh, sugaraddiction.com has grown to be a pretty good sized community of people because you're a little bit isolated in this because ethically, morally, legally, you can give this product to a one-year-old but I always tell folks, look, just spend five minutes in my inbox, five minutes on my instant messenger. You'll see the pain out there. I got started in the early days of recovery working with late stage food addicts, people that were 100, 200 pounds overweight. They're losing limbs, going blind, and they still couldn't quit sugar. And so that addiction looked as bad. And a, and a strange thing happened when my parents died, I went public with my substance use disorder and I started to get this flood of people who were also sober from drugs and alcohol and that kind of stuff, but they couldn't quit put down the sugar. And to a man, to a woman, every single one of them has said, uh, who's finally beat the sugar, that quitting sugar was harder than their original drugs and alcohol habit. So that's like the short podcast version brings us up to today and, and uh, you know, probably, <laughs> probably brings, brings up more questions than it answers, but that's kind of the short podcast version of how I ended up here. That's really interesting, though, and I think it's fascinating that you compare the addictions there that a lot of people go to sugar after trying to detox from other things. Mm. What effects does sugar really have on the body? What are the main effects that you're seeing? Because you said that it changes you. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the our work focuses on and just so your you know your listeners know that the sugar molecule is half glucose and half fructose, and fructose is the, really the offending molecule. And very little science existed on fructose except for the last five years has just exploded. Um, Fructose malabsorption, fructose intolerance has been around for a while, but it's very hard to diagnose and people don't really pay much attention to it. There are actual maladies in the DSM, you know, the, the, the diagnostic manual, but everybody focuses on the glucose because we know that too much glucose jacks your blood sugar numbers and, they end, and you end up with uh, blood sugar dysregulation, diabetes, Alzheimer's, they're calling diabetes three, um, all kind of um, heart problems and, I mean, allergies, uh, autoimmune stuff. Everybody knows about the too much sugar, right? And too much, in the, especially the diabetes stuff. But what is little known and why what we do is so much different than, say, a health coach or a keto coach or a vegetarian coach or a you know, a weight loss coach, you know, who's giving out pills and saying exercise is the answer, is that sugar, the fructose part of the molecule, and this has been exploding in the last five years, literally affects the dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, GABA, even your adrenal glands. And we're drilling these deep neural pathways in our brain where, you know, when I talked about Eric Clapton and I talked about myself losing, you know, changing my state, what happens 
is as we grow, now there's a very common construct in the world of alcohol and drug use, is that if you know anyone in recovery can tell you this or a treatment center that if you started using drugs and alcohol when you were 14 or 15 years old, you stopped growing emotionally. Your finances, your relationships, your responsibility, your, your job, uh, your schoolwork all reflects that, that you're not making decisions based on this responsible adult. You stop growing emotionally. Well, when you talk to someone who's lost two or 300 pounds, who's fallen to a right-sized body, they don't talk about the food. They talk about that same emotional recovery process. And if you think about the ability to give this product to a baby, what has happened in society in general in the last 300 years is that we have um, abdicated our emotional responsibility to a substance. And when you're hurting, your mom gives you a cookie, when you're sad, when you're mad, when you're angry. I mean, heck, when was the last time you saw a movie where uh, a woman got dumped in, uh, by her boyfriend and didn't have an ice cream party, right? I mean, this is a cultural norm that sugar helps you assuage these feelings. So if you put the two, two together, which we have at sugaraddiction.com, we have um, put the two together. Basically, we're a peer recovery group focusing on what the people who have recovered from late stage food addiction are doing. And we're bringing it over to what we call harmful users, meaning people who are they may, may or may not be addicts, but they've just used so much sugar to help them manage their feelings that this is what they think now is life. They think the migraines, they think the mood swings, they think the hurting, the, people always say arm or fingers and hands and knees. They think this rheumatoid arthritis stuff has something to do with aging or their, 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 their genetics, when in reality, 90% of rheumatoid arthritis goes into remission when people quit sugar. It's really kind of, um, it's what I call pattern recognition. It happens over and over and over again. I've seen it a thousand times or more, you know, one, up close and personal, what happens. And so and this is the message we're trying to get out there. It's a little bit different than you quit the white stuff and start exercising, you're reducing calories. Um, it really is, you're trying to re reimagine, recreate, regroove new neural pathways in your brain and your dopamine receptors. In science, the dopamine receptors are called, it's called down-regulated. They're actually thinned out. You have less of them. And what happens is you, you really just can't feel good anymore. You know, the dopamine is what you need to get new food, sex, to recreate the species. And it evolved over 10 million years and here we are playing with these beautiful brain chemicals of ours with the substance. Now, look, you take a little heroin, you take a little uh, alcohol, you take a little cocaine, whatever. But we are pounding, pounding 21 teaspoons a day through our system. And that's average. I mean, a Coke has 12 teaspoons of sugar. So anybody with any kind of habit is up near 30 or 40 uh, teaspoons of sugar a day. And basically the dose makes the poison. And the way that I like to keep reiterating is it's only been the last five years that we've understood that our brain chemical reward systems are, are, are stimulated and manipulated by this. And on the other side of the fence, we've got food companies who literally slide people into SRIs, S or MRIs 
to show that, you know, to see how the brain chemicals light up, just like the dope, like the heroin and alcohol. All right, I'll get off my soapbox. But you see what I'm talking about? It's it's really a see, I don't I don't have a meat is murder. I, I don't have a um, you know, friends don't let friends drive drunk. The reason I like podcasts like this is I can set this whole thing up. And if it's something that resonates with people in their life so that they've seen this in their own life where they've tried to quit, right? You know the research, right? 95% of people who quit, try to quit sugar or try to quit white stuff or try to diet, lose the weight and then gain it all back plus some in the first year. And the reason that is, is because all diets say to reduce the white stuff and then they just don't deal with what I've been describing with this emotional management system. They don't change that to make it, instead of use sugar, go for a walk or go to yoga or get a hug or make love or something like that. They don't change the process so that in the back of their mind, when they get a financial problem or a relationship problem or a work problem, they fall back to the old management system. And it sets itself up like a craving, like like a heroin craving is different than an alcohol craving, than a cocaine craving. Our food craving, literally, we share the delivery system with our stomach, with our throat, with our mouth. And so the body will set up these cravings. And once I can get you past the cravings, then you can, and I hate to say this, I really do. I don't like to talk this way, but people's brains, and this is what I learned from people later after they've got 90 days of 100% abstinence is the really brains are not in a position to make these decisions, to make conscious good decisions about putting this stuff in their, in their mouth. So anyway, you know, I could talk with it forever, but uh, I, I just, you know, I wanted to answer your question in depth, like what is it doing to us? And, you know, I really would love any time to spend the rest of it just talking about the solution because I, I do a little scaring. <laughs> I, try to, I try to at least impart what I know about from working with thousands of people, what they tell me when they get better, you know. So I'm gonna, I wanna bring up one point and then I would love for you to tell people how you work with people and help yeah. them to get past this. But someone said something to me recently that I thought was interesting. My mom is currently undergoing treatment for cancer. Mm. And the nurse that came to take care of her after she had her surgery told her, you know, you need to stay away from sugar because there's a, been a lot of studies that have suggested that cancer and sugar are related. Now, have you found anything like that in doing the research that you've done? Yeah, so one of the guys that we had on the summit, his name is Lewis Cantley, Dr. Lewis Cantley from Cornell University. And it's not like just from Cornell University. He, they have a Cantley lab at Cornell University. It's named after the man. And so when I interviewed him a couple of times, I said, you know, this is a controversial subject that sugar causes cancer, right? And uh, he said, I know. And, he, and I said, so does sugar cause cancer? And he said, Michael, sugar causes cancer. And I said, or feeds it at the very least. He said, it feeds it. And he said, I said, can I get a sound bite? <laughs> he said, <laughs> say, say that one more time. He said, Michael, sugar causes cancer. 
And he, this is a man who's not really an addict or anything, but he hasn't had sugar in 40 years or something because he's like 70. He's been studying this in, in kind of anonymity for a long time. And so, yeah, there are a lot of studies that uh, tumor growth does accelerate with a lot of sugar and will reduce without sugar, you know? So it's a, it's an, you know, again, no one, no one's going to be able to tell diagnostically for another 50 years, you know, we don't have the tools, but all the studies are pointing in that direction. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad you're able to share that with us because when I heard that, I thought, oh my gosh, you know, it makes sense. It really does. Yeah. Um, and so for those of you who are listening, I mean, if you needed a reason to kick the sugar habit, that is definitely a very powerful one. Uh, yeah. Because I can tell you in watching my mom going through chemo and all of the things that she's had to endure is not fun to have mm. to treat that. So, um, and also just diabetes too, in general, and other yeah. health issues that you were describing, because I've had family members who lost limbs and also mm. uh, had strokes and had blindness in one eye due to sugar yeah. i know it was the sugar so so how if you have someone out there who's listening and i know i have listeners who struggle with this because they've reached out to me before and i've always said i think that there is a an emotional component to this that just mm -hmm. just like what you were describing i've said before when you're sick what do people do they go get you a shake or they mm -hmm. get you pudding and they make you your favorite treat that's usually sugar and full of sugar so we associate feeling better with the sugar and there is actually a chemical reaction in the brain to when we have sugar so how do you help people move past all of that yeah no that's a great question it's a very enlightened question in that you know most people when they come to me they want they want a food plan and an exercise plan and i say i'm not a gym and i don't run a diet on the side you know we're kind of agnostic when it comes to diet i mean you can eat you have to eat whole food and it could be vegetarian, it could be keto, it could be paleo, it doesn't matter really. As long as you're not eating, I call it powder addiction. I said, anything that's ever been reduced to a white powder, the body's just not used to the surface area that it requires to, you know, to digest it. It just hits the bloodstream really fast and it's usually not good for you. And it usually has no minerals, no nutrients, no vitamins, no nothing. It's just a drug at that point uh, when it's a powder. And that's all powders, you know, um, but, you know, we don't need to get into that, but um, the, the emotional part of the um, process is exactly what I've described. When people grow up with their mother treating them, like doesn't, instead of getting down and getting a hug and saying, what's wrong, dear, when they're crying, they'll give you a cookie and point you towards the TV, you know. And we learn this, that because it's almost free, you can basically score sugar anywhere without any cost. Even if you don't have any money, you can usually get a little sugar somewhere. You know, whether you're drinking a soda or you're drinking, you know, getting whatever in a 7-Eleven, you can get whatever you need to get you through to the next day. And because of this ubiquitousness, because of this stuff that's just everywhere at a very low cost and societally accepted so, you know, it, like I said, no ramifications, morally, ethically, legal for children to have it. Um, we ended up growing up with this emotional management system that relies on a substance. And until that one paradigm is not broken, shattered, smashed in two, 
and people listen to the people who have had success. I have people that are weight, you know, ex Weight Watchers uh, leaders. I've had every single diet that you can absolutely think of. We've had people try. Mo the average is six point eight, but the average person, the the you know, the real kind of folks are way above ten. I think there's a lot of underreporting of the dieting. Uh, but there's like 10, 12, 15 diets that they've been on from South Beach to Atkins and everything in between um, the grapefruit diet and this, you know, the, this something cauliflower soup. I mean, this is crazy stuff that they've always tried, but they've never accepted the idea that the possibility exists that this product could be powerful enough to change their mental state and also the stigma around addiction still exists, both for people trying to get off opiates, alcohol, or whatever, and forget about the idea that you could be a food addict or you could be addicted to sugar. They just don't, you know, if you know the comedian Rodney Dangerfield, he says, I didn't get, I get no respect, right? Sugar gets no respect as a psychoactive drug, a drug of addiction, because the dose makes the poison, right? I mean, we're looking at, um, like I said, 20, 30 teaspoons a day, that's before the flour. Now remember flour turns the sugar in your stomach. Like, so that's a big glucose hit. The sugar is actually a glucose and a fructose hit, right? So you're getting both, but really you're looking for that, you know, when you ingest the flour products, it kind of jacks your blood sugar and like Pavlov's dogs and starts you thinking about the rest of the stuff, which is usually paired like a donut or, you know, whatever something that's paired together, flour and sugar. And so the dopamine, uh, you know, the serotonin. And, and the one thing that I try and really the way that I delineate this is I say, look, you are not looking for a craving for a sweet product. Yes, nothing in nature that has fructose in us that's sweet is poisonous. Mother's milk is, is sweet. We are attracted to sweet things, but we, were, we are only attracted to sweet things in such a tiny like we used to eat those little blueberries that are not even that good, the wild ones or the little crab apples, but we never had this multitude of fruit and orange juice and dried fruit. Uh, we never had all this fructose. So what you're looking for when you have those cravings is you need to say to yourself, I'm not looking for sweets. I'm looking for a dopamine hit. Now, I know it sounds kind of clinical or whatever, but you got to realize that if you're looking for a dopamine hit, you can get a dopamine hit doing other things. You can go out and take a walk. You can go out. And if you take a big uh, glass of water and you go for a walk and walk the dog or get a hug or watch a sunset, um, you would get a little bit of dopamine um, and, and, and you'll, you'll be hydrated and the, the cravings will pass. It's not like they're like this omnipresent thing, they will pass. And so when that happens, you've kind of successfully done the step one of reordering the way you handle with and deal with emotions, right? And that's the key message of our work, the, the, the key message of how we change people's behavior. It's very slow. And if you don't institute in the first 30, 60 or 90 days, then we call it white knuckling. You know, you're like gritting and barren. You know, you're just bare, you're okay. I'm not going to have sugar. Not going to have sugar. You know, like, but if you don't actively move into another 
process when you have the cravings, realizing that you're not just having cravings for that sweet product, you're actually having cravings to get and dopamine is like, it's everything. It's the reason we're still here because we, we get some when we get new food, we get some when we have sex. I mean, it was really, in, you know, evolved to reward us for these behaviors. And now that system has been hijacked. So again, I like to have podcasts because they, I can lay the whole, I don't want to call it an argument, but the whole case out so that people can kind of understand the difference between a diet and what we do. Well, I love that you mentioned that because diets, you think of that, that's short term. That's just something yeah. you do to get a temporary, you know, result that someone wants to get quickly. But what you're talking about is actually changing habits. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it does take time to change a habit. But when you do that, studies have shown that that has a much longer lasting effect. And yep. I love that you talk about this because really what you're talking about is giving them coping mechanisms mm. for dealing with the emotional pain, really, that they're, because you're talking about getting dopamine, but really when we usually have those kinds of cravings, it's because we're experiencing some kind of emotional down usually, whether break up or stress, stressful day, because I know when people talk to me, they say, well, when I get stressed out, I get a candy bar. Mm -hmm. And that's what it is, is we're trying to figure out how to cope with what we're dealing with. And instead mm -hmm. of doing it in a healthy way, we reach for the sugar or the foods that are bad for us. And I think, I don't think a lot of people even pay attention to the fact that flour and things like that turn into sugar. So there are people out there who might think I don't eat a lot of sugar, but then they're eating breads and everything like that. Yeah. And it's kind of doing the same thing. So I, I really love that you're educating us on that because I think a lot of people don't realize that. No, it's absolutely true. And you're right. It's like when I start to, I mean, I've had some real, I mean, I've had MD, we have MDs in our program that are our coaches now, therapists, registered dietitians, people who have, you know, they should know this stuff, but they've never been taught it. And it only kind of evolved through the 12 step in dusty church basements anecdotally. But now the science is here to back that up because it really is affecting their brain reward systems. And in this management of their, you hit it really right on the head in that uh, uh, I'm a real big fan of this. Uh, it's a book called uh, The Body Keeps the Score. And basically, it doesn't need to be sexual trauma or physical trauma. But a lot of times we find that people have been tamping down the feelings of um, some sort of trauma. And when they get off the sugar, then they have to deal with that. They have to, it becomes real and it flows up through the body uh, as a painful experience, a memory or whatever. And then, like you said, the, you literally have to think about today. You have to think about uh, today's stressors, finances, COVID, you know, everything that's going on. You, you, you're not dealing with it with a candy bar. You've got to have a new system. And so once you get that part of it and you journal, a lot of times when people use a journal and they write it out and they say, well, I had this and it was a terrible day. And then I had, you know, I finally had the candy bar, whatever. They can look back in black and white and they can see the pattern. There it is. Oh my goodness. I was fine over the weekend. Nobody's bothering me. 
And then Monday when work started by four o'clock, I needed a candy bar. So, you know what I mean? It's like you, you start to see your own behavior in black and white and you start to match it up with your emotional life. You know, the, the one that's, that's really causing the, causing the craving. I think another important thing to consider too, is we are kind of set up for failure sometimes in the situations we're put in, because I, when you were talking, immediately thought about my workplace where the supervisors want to reward you for doing a good job. So they stick a candy bar in your mailbox, <laughs> you know, or they'll say, you know, uh, you ha we have a treat for you today. And, and it's always food. It's like, we got food or we did, we have a cookie for you because, you know, you did, I'm a teacher. And so they said, oh, you've been working so hard with COVID and having to do so much more work. So here's a cookie. We got everybody a cookie from the local bakery. And I'm one of those people that I hate that because I don't mm -hmm. want to seem like I'm not grateful that you got me a donut or you got me a cookie, but I'm also one of those people who tries to watch what I eat and I don't want to take in a lot of sugar. Yeah. So I always want to refuse the cookie, but then that makes us look like, oh, I'm not grateful that you bought me this cookie for right. doing a great job. It's like, can we start rewarding people not with food? Well, you're again, you're, you know, again, as the kids say, woke about this, because there's a guy, he's a dentist in Great Britain, who I interviewed a couple of times now on the summit, His name's James Galunik, Galunik, and he has a project called the Rewards Project. And the main premise in a book and everything, and it's a nonprofit, no, you know, he's not making any money from it, that the whole premise is to stop rewarding children with candy and cookies and sugar. And there's a hundred other things that you can use that, you know, that kids would like more probably. And it's just this pattern that's developed. And it, like you say, it develops right into adulthood. It's a, it's a, it's a gift, you know, like as we record this Valentine's day is coming up. I mean, how did every single holiday develop into this, uh, uh, you know, Easter bunny and, Christmas, I mean, Thanksgiving, all of them, Halloween, everyone is somehow focused on the, the sugar of the event kind of thing. And it's just crazy making. And if you, here's the thing that I like, I forgot to tell you that when I got sober, I read a book called Sugar Blues. And what I was attracted to was the story of the British Empire's growth in the years between 1600 and, and 1800, 1900, right? And basically what happened was they went to the west of Africa, picked up sleighs and empty boats, went to the Caribbean and the, and the Americas and picked up sugar, molasses, rum, uh, coffee and tea. And over 150 years, they grew a monopoly and a uh, cartel that El Chapo would have been proud of that literally took over the world on the money that they made. And the average person in Great Britain went from five pounds a year to 100 pounds a year in less than 150 years. Right now, that figure is now 150 in the United States pounds per 150 pounds of sugar pushing through our body. So think of those five pound bags you get and then think of like whatever. I don't know how many that is, but a lot. 20, 30, 30 of those bags you got to push through your body every year. Right. And so the cultural norms, no one is even alive that knows a world where this product, it's been however many generations over since the 1600s, where and, and when in Great Britain, when this first started, 
um, there were a lot of doctors who lived to be 70 or 80 years old and watched an entire couple, two, three generations go through in that process and just were writing about the caffeine and the sugar and all that kind of stuff and how much change it was doing in people, how many diseases were coming, the psychological effects of it. And there's a lot of writings about that, but people, there's no one alive now that has, that can remember a world that didn't have it. I mean, if you look at the, the, uh, the 1980s, I'm probably dating myself, but anywhere before that, like in high school or, or, or middle school or anything, there was only one or two obese people, right? Kids. And forget about the same thing with adults. And if you look at movies of the 40s, 50s, 60s, same thing. And you can track the high fructose corn syrup going into the diet in the 80s to right now to the 1920 or the 2020s. Um, and literally the obesity numbers go up right with the amount of high fructose corn syrup in the diet. And so it's just a, you know, a phenomena, historical phenomena. It's basically a, uh, what, what was the, the phrase? Um, a, a evolutionary uh, U-turn or evolutionary fork in the road that we took the wrong road. Yeah. And we're, we have to correct, we really do. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um... And I think that you can also probably attribute to marketing oh, yeah. or the increase in that too, seeing the commercials, you know, of course I see this commercial for this thing and now I have to have it and I want it. And so a lot of that goes hand in hand, I think too, a very interesting point. Um, and when you look at other nations and compare, you see very different things, especially when they, you look at how they view sugar. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look at the developing nations that when we started to outsource all our products to the same thing happened to them before that marketing hit there. Uh, they were their disease rates were quite a bit lower. It's yeah. very common, very common. That is really interesting. I uh, actually when I was teaching, we read an article about Germany and how at one time, the Germans used to shop every couple of days and the refrigerators are small. And so they would only buy what they needed and then go mm -hmm. to the store every few days. And that is actually starting to change in Germany and more products are ready to make. So mm -hmm. more frozen products, more, you know, salads that are pre-made. And yeah. the article was talking about actually recycling and that the recycling has gone, waste has gone up because they're mm. buying things that are prepackaged. But mm. it was also talking about how a lot of Germans now don't read the packages to see like the calories that are in the things they're buying and mm. that the prepackaged things, they're not as healthy. So there, there actually is an increase in the amount of fat that the Germans are consuming. And so the, the weight of the Germans has increased Oh, yeah, I believe it. And it's, again, I think a lot, we all fall into that trap. If we don't read what we're putting into our bodies, we get hidden sugar, I think, a lot oh, from products. Yeah. Well, yeah, 85% of the stuff on the shelf has sugar in it. And this is up from real low numbers. And uh, so, you know, we ask folks, do not eat from bags, boxes, cans, I mean, there have these quote unquote rules where if it's less than the third or fourth ingredient, it's okay. That's crazy talk. That doesn't mean a thing. You can keep those cravings alive no matter how much you're ingesting. 
I, I ask folks to do a simple scratch test. I mean, and they, you know, they're, if you were to go to allergists, they'd scratch you for dust and ragweed and pollen and all this other stuff. And they would see if you have an effect, you know, it gives you an inflammation mark where the scratch mark was. Well, my scratch test, our scratch test is very simple. Just give me 30, 60, or 90 days with 100% abstinence from these products. If I can get somebody to 90 days with no sugar, no flour, no caffeine usually, not necessarily always, but no flour, no sugar, they never want to go back. Now, they sometimes slip, uh, you know, they'll whatever, but they always come back because we have effectively screwed up their sugar, their use, because their skin is better, they're... Um, they've lost weight. Uh, they, you know, they're one of the, if not the, I think it actually is the biggest benefit that people talk about is the clearing of the brain fog. I mean, where your brain literally, you can process faster, you can focus longer, ADD and OCD kind of, not that they go away completely, but they kind of abate a little bit. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of this guy, Dr. Daniel Amen. He's been on public television a lot. And he does, he's done th hundreds of thousands of brain scans where he puts a little colored thing in there and scans what your brain looks like. And when people come to him with a standard American diet, the brain literally has holes in it, holes, like, 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 not like, like bumps, but holes. And then when they get on a whole food diet and they stay on it for a year or so, those holes heal up. And so people like, I don't think they're kind of, one of the things also that I've been really excited about recently is called the continuous glucose monitor. Matter of fact, I have one on. I don't know if I can show it to you, but it's a uh, um, it's really simple. Oh, you oh you're this is this is not video, but I can show you anyway. But it's a little it's a little uh, um, device that you wear on your the back of your arm, and it can tell you your glucose numbers, your sugar numbers. Um, continuously. I mean, you can do it with a finger prick, but it's not continuous. And the one thing people can't see is they can't see what it's doing to the inside of their body. They can't see that, you know, a donut's going to spike it way up into the 200s is when it's supposed to be like 70 or 80. And so there's been a lot of advances in science and stuff, but um, yeah, I'm just... Uh, I'm excited for the future. I, I think that the world changes when they have what they call non-invasive glucose monitors, where you can wear it like a Fitbit and just like look at your watch and say, whoa, that donut really, that was not good. Right now we can kind of rationalize it. You know, We can say, well, one's not going to kill us. And one isn't going to kill you. One cigarette's not going to kill you. But over time, it's going to, the metabolic diseases, Ill, you know, metabolic syndrome and the constellation of diseases around it. Um, I mean, that inflammation is going to, it's going to get, it's going to make some part of your body give in. Um, and everybody's different, whether how it manifests, some people it's arthritis and some people it's lupus and some people it's that Hashimoto or whatever. I mean, everybody's got a little different thing, but um, it really, the inflammation caused by sugar, I mean, diabetes too is the perfect example, perfect. Like there wasn't that much diabetes 40, 50 years ago. There was some, but not, it wasn't the percentage that it is now when I think 75% of Americans are either diabetic or pre-diabetic, okay? And they don't even know it. And there have been, now there's a billion dollar corporation called Verta Health who has hundreds of 
peer-reviewed studies of people with an average of eight years with diabetes two who have put it into remission simply because they changed their diet and eliminated sugar and flour. That's all they did. They didn't take any medications. They didn't do anything else. This company has really nothing to sell except you know the, the coaching and the, the monitors and so that they can show you how your glucose levels are, your sugar levels are, blood sugar levels are. And they, like I said, they have a billion dollar valuation because they have, I think this by thousands by now, people putting diabetes two into remission. And when that starts to happen and people start to realize that the only changes the success stories made was the, uh, the change in their diet, then the world changes, you know, then, then people get this thing. And we, you know, we come back off of that bad turn we took 40, 50 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's so important. And it's, I think important for people to know that you can change things in your life and yeah. you can be successful with that. And who wouldn't want to be able to feel better? I think that that's probably the biggest perk is that mentally, I think you feel better when you don't have all of that. The one thing I forgot to mention is that, you know, when you get to be our age, when you get to be an adult, by the time you're trying to quit sugar as an adult, you're not trying to get a buzz anymore. You're just trying to fight off the withdrawals and you're just trying to not, um, you know, you've got a meeting, you got kids, you can't have a headache, you can't be lethargic, you can't be a little bit depressed, you know, just can't do it. So you have a little bit of the old uh, standby and it gets you through to the next day, but then the next day shows up and you're in the same boat again. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point. Very good point. Well, this has been so interesting. I'm so glad that you came on here. Um, I think it's so important to educate people about this. So if there are people who are sitting there thinking, okay, this is me, I need to get rid of this addiction or I need help with this. How can people follow you or work with you? What's the best way? Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Um, I don't know if folks have heard of the brand new uh, social media uh, thing, Clubhouse, but I'm on Clubhouse at, at Mike Collins. You can follow me there. But the main place is um, sugaraddiction.com. And we have a big book there, a yellow book that used to be on Amazon, was a bestseller on Amazon a couple of years ago. But we give it away free now. Um, and it'll give you pretty much, it, it'll give you all of the information kind of laid out better, the food plans, everything you need, kind of description of my story. Um, it's free to download. It's called The Last Resort Sugar Detox. And the reason it is, is because, like I said earlier, most of our folks have tried six or eight or 10 different diets and they were the kind of the last house on the block. So if they go to sugaraddiction.com, we also have a quiz there, but I always say folks, if folks took the time to listen to this and then to go to sugaraddiction.com, they don't need to take the quiz. <laughs> just, just get the book. Um, and we have uh, the Quit Sugar Summit every twice a year now, January and September. And if you check it out, uh, quitsugarsummit.com, leave your uh, email address, then we'll notify you when the next one comes up. So we interview, you'll see the list. It's kind of staggering the, Though, you know, we had Judy Collins, the famous singer on last time. It was really, really? cool. Yeah, yeah. She, she's 80 something years old and she really wanted to, um, she, yeah, I mean, she has a great body of work and her, her songs and everything, you know, bring in, send in the clowns. I can't sing, but, you know, but
but anyway, she, she wrote a book called Cravings, which is a good book, actually. Um, it's kind of 12-step based, but it's still good. And she talks about her, her recovery from this, from sugar addiction. And it's really cool. And plus, we've got, you know, Dr. Lustig and Gary Tubbs. we got a lot of people on there. So check out the Quit Sugar Summit. So those are, my, those are where you find me online. And I'll have the links to those things in the description in the show notes to this podcast. So you can just click right on it. I think that's really probably a, a comforting thing to know that people are not alone in this, mm. that it's a very, very, very common addiction that nobody mm. really talks about. Yeah. So I applaud you for bringing it to light and to the public and trying to help people and make them aware and, and just help them be healthier in general. Thank you for doing that. We need that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. That's uh, I didn't sign up to be the anti-candy man, but now it's uh, it, it hurts. And, you know, you've got kids, you know, that kids can be cruel. You know, they don't mean to be. But when a child is overweight, um, it, you know, it's it's hard for them. And, and then leads a bunch of physical stuff later in life, too. So, yeah, we want to get the message out. So if you had any closing words of wisdom for the viewers out there, listeners out there, what would you tell them? Well, an interesting thing happened uh, over the years of doing this. And what, what, what I found is that when I did the research, when I did the surveys, the people that succeed are a little bit, have a little bit of rebel in them. They're a little bit of a pioneer, right? If you go back to their home or back to their their family of origin or their workplace, they, you know, first person to go to college, first person to get this sort of job, this kind of career, this kind of athletics. Um, and they were willing to join another tribe. They were willing to move away from their hometown. They were moving away from their family, not leaving their family, but they were willing to, um, you know, go to law school or do whatever it was, change their, you know, change the dynamic of their family, kind of break away from that orbit a little bit and uh, do their own research and then finally make a decision and join another crowd. And what we find is that that is the secret sauce to what anything is, is to get a community, uh, especially in sugar recovery, but to get a community that is, you know, something that you believe in, something that you want to do. So that's what I would suggest folks do. Try and have the courage to be that rebel and to step out and join another crowd. Perfect words of wisdom. Thank you so much for being here with us today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I, I enjoyed myself. And I want to thank all of you out there, too, for listening to us today. And please, if you enjoy this podcast, I ask that you subscribe, leave a positive review from wherever you're listening. And the greatest compliment you can pay me is a referral, just bringing other people to my podcast. So thank you for those of you who have done that. As always, if you want to follow me, I always go live on Facebook at 630 Central on Mondays where I do a free card reading. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. I always post videos to Instagram and I have free guided meditations on my YouTube channel. So check all of that out. And if you want to work with me, you can go to my website, melissaoatman.com. There you'll see all the services I offer. You can work with me one on one or you can do past life regression or Reiki whatever you feel guided to do you can purchase everything from my website and all of my sessions are done online through zoom i want to thank you guys so much again i hope you have a beautiful day from wherever you're listening as always i am sending you so much love and light and i will talk to you soon bye guys